All right, awesome. Well, thanks so much, Francis, and thanks, Michael, uh, for doing worship tonight. Uh, so good evening, Beacon. It's honestly such a huge blessing being able to see you guys, even though it is kind of a weird, <laughs> crazy season, um, especially as we are doing everything through Zoom. But um, yeah, I wanted to kind of just send a reminder, just as like Francis was saying, um, I would encourage you guys to pull up the notes for this evening. Uh, we'll be talking through and also just addressing a bunch of things. So definitely want to, um, yeah, make sure we're all well equipped. But as we um, kind of go into the message and with everything, I wanted to kind of open us up um, just with a general question to kind of get us thinking about um, this idea that we were just talking about, you know, how Michael brought up uh, biblical peace. And so the question that I want to just kind of use as like an opener is for everyone to kind of think of an opportunity of when was the last time you felt stressed? So when was the last time you felt stressed? It might have been, you know, last week, yesterday, or honestly, some of you maybe even as I'm preaching right now, <laughs> kind of feeling stressed um, with so many different factors. Um, but a follow-up question I have, though, is that in that moment of feeling stressed, uh, you know, what were you feeling, essentially? What did you want to change? You know, was it more externally focused? Was it more internally focused? And there's so many questions, obviously, that we can ask. And there are so many reasons, you know, to feel overwhelmed. And so tonight, our goal is to kind of look at what does biblical peace look like? You know, what does it mean to not only pursue biblical peace, but how can we also combat feelings of things like discontentment? And I ask this question just in general, because uh, it is relevant, you know, for all of us. Maybe it's the stress for some of you of not being able to see friends, you know, for a long time. Maybe it's stress about the future in terms of what things are going to look like. Uh, it's, what's interesting is I actually found a recent study that said that young adults spend more than six hours a day uh, feeling stressed out. And most of the topics revolved around things like money, appearance, career, and relationships actually being the top four. And so in other words, you know, stress is totally normal. It's something that we all feel in one way or another. Uh, a little bit more of a lighthearted example for myself, <laughs> when I've kind of recently been feeling stressed, uh, is actually when I was watching one of my recent, or not my recent, but one of my all-time favorite uh, TV shows, Avatar Last Airbender on Netflix. So if you guys remember the scene where Op is getting attacked by all these sandbenders, uh, it's super stressful. And I apologize if there's any spoilers in that, but the series has also been out for like 15 years, so I don't feel as bad. <laughs> but anyways, um, tonight we'll be looking again at what biblical peace looks like and in that what it looks like to persevere through things like stress, through persevering through things like our own sinfulness. And so as we look at our passage tonight, we're going to go ahead and open up to Galatians 5. So go ahead and open your Bibles or your Bible apps. So we'll be looking at Galatians 5, specifically verses 22 to 23. And afterwards, I'll go ahead and pray for us. So starting with verse uh, 22. But the spirit, or but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against all things, there is no law. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you again for uh, this evening. Lord, we thank you for uh, the opportunity of being able to dive deeper, God, into your word. Lord, we pray as we uh, look at biblical peace, as we um, even just look this evening at how we can be pursuing a greater relationship with you, Lord, and not finding security in our own desires or even our own uh, selfishness. God, I pray that you would be uh, speaking through me. I pray that you would be uh, moving through, Lord, our conversations even in discussion groups. And I pray, Father, for, again, the glory to be on you and you alone. So we lift this prayer up to you. And in your name, amen. So kind of for a little bit of context, for those of you guys who haven't been with us the past uh, few meetings, we are currently in a study right now going through uh, Fruits of the Spirit. So, so far, we've looked at the first two being love and joy. 
But then this week, we'll be looking specifically at peace, which is the third fruit in this verse. And so the theme that we're going to be going for, and again, you guys can reference this in your notes, is that biblical peace is found when we fill our minds with the truth of scripture and live in a way that demonstrates our trust in the Lord. I'll go ahead and say that again. Uh, biblical peace is found when we fill our minds with the truth of scripture and live in a way that demonstrates our trust in the Lord. So we'll be addressing biblical peace essentially by answering three main questions. So first one is, what is it? Number two is, why is it so hard to feel it? And then number three is, where is it found? And at the end, we'll be looking at a few practical steps in terms of, you know, what does it look like to move towards biblical peace? So it's not a exhaustive list by any means, but it's a opportunity for us to kind of think about these ideas a little bit more practically rather than just intangibly. So moving to our first point, what is it? What is biblical peace? So the definition that we're actually going to be rolling with tonight is that biblical peace is rest in the wisdom and control of God. Again, that's rest in wisdom in the control of God. So having biblical peace itself really starts with a solid understanding of the gospel and having peace because of the cross. So in other words, we have peace because of the price that Jesus paid for us. And so this is going to be the foundation of how we're going to be, again, defining biblical peace. What this means, in other words, is that Christ died on the cross so that we could have peace and also having reconciliation and atonement for our sins. And, you know, the fact that he even burdens what we should have burdened is something that should be providing a huge sense of peace for us. It's something that should be a huge encouragement knowing that our price has already been paid. And so I want to make a clear distinction here as well. Um, we're going to be focusing a big chunk of this evening on what's known as objective peace. Again, objective peace. So stick with me here a little bit, but objective peace is peace that comes from knowing that we have been reconciled with God because of the price Jesus paid on the cross. Again, objective peace is peace that comes from knowing that we have been reconciled with God because of the price Jesus paid on the cross. And so this sense of objective peace is essentially peace with God. But what I want to really emphasize here is that it's not based on anything that we've done. It's not based on our own actions. It's not based on our faithfulness because this peace itself is based on something outside of ourselves and that outside of ourselves, meaning the gospel because of the gospel. So this whole idea here of objective peace is somewhat unique actually, which is interesting because it's already been given to us. Ephesians 2 describes how Jesus is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. So this peace here comes from knowing that Christ has suffered in our place and taking the punishment again that we should have deserved. And because of this price that's paid, it's a huge encouragement for us as believers in knowing that any suffering that we've already been, been through or any suffering that we are going to be going through, Christ has already suffered through it. So kind of a metaphor and a very classic representation of this idea is Chronicles of Narnia. So Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. You know, in Aslan, the main kind of heroic figure, he took the pain and the punishment that the kids should have deserved. And obviously it was difficult, it was challenging to watch, but the victory really lied in the fact that he rose from the dead and then conquered the White Witch. So it was a huge celebration. And the kids were able to essentially trust and have peace in knowing that through any difficult situation, Aslan would be the one to protect them. And because of this, he already proved, you know, that he could save them and could also do it again. So what's kind of ironic is that, you know, the lion, the witch in the wardrobe is already kind of a direct metaphor <laughs> to Christ's death on the cross. So in some sense, my work's already kind of cut out for me in that way. 
But I think this does a really great job in paralleling this idea of peace that we have and the peace that we want to pursue because of what Christ again has done on the cross for us. So again, objective peace comes from knowing that we have been reconciled with God because of the price Jesus paid on the cross so that we could have reconciliation for our sins. One of my favorite quotes comes from Alistair Begg. He says that peace comes from knowing that my account with God has been settled, my debt with him has been canceled, and my account is based on who Jesus is and what he's done. So here Begg is emphasizing this idea that, you know, true biblical peace really starts and ends with Jesus, not ourselves. Again, it starts and ends with Jesus and not ourselves. It's rooted in the promise of the gospel and founded upon this idea of what he has done for us. And again, not what we are doing. So tonight, that's going to be our focus on how biblical peace essentially is, in other words, a external manifestation that starts with an internal rightness with God. Now, I want to draw a little bit of a distinction, though, uh, between what worldly peace is and biblical peace. So I looked up a few different definitions, and Merriam-Webster actually defines worldly peace as a state of tranquility or quiet, such as the freedom from civil disturbance. Another definition is worldly peace, or just peace from a worldly context, is a state of security or order within a community provided by a law or a custom. So it was interesting, just as I'm looking for this definition, I noticed a huge trend, and that's this idea that we're constantly emptying our minds of negativity to pursue peace. However, it's important to note that biblical peace, on the other hand, is not about emptying our minds, but instead it's about filling our minds specifically with the truths of scripture. Again, it's not about emptying our minds, but it's about filling our minds specifically with the truths of scripture. Biblical peace really emphasizes this idea of wholeness, in other words. So how things were meant to be and how we're supposed to be moving towards Christ. On one hand, we have worldly peace, which is all about things like indifference, being free from struggle, being able to be free from whatever trials or difficulties we're going through. And essentially, in other words, we're kind of moving towards our own comforts. We're moving towards our own selfishness. But when we pursue biblical peace, we essentially want to, again, pursue this wholeness, but wholeness with Christ. So as believers, we recognize that there is a need to move towards Christ because our wholeness is only complete in him. Biblical peace uh, also is all about showing Christ-like love to others because we know that through the gospel, Christ has first loved us. Worldly peace, like we mentioned, though, is a little bit different in that it is pursuing our own comforts. And so more tangibly, worldly peace will ask questions like, you know, how can I get away from this person? How can I get away from them and finally get some peace and quiet? But instead, biblical peace will ask the question, you know, how can I move towards this person and share the peace of God and the good news of the gospel. So again, here, biblical peace is about how we're filling our minds, but then also applying it. So more proactively and actively loving others. As believers in this way, you know, we are called to a higher standard to love one another, especially with difficult relationships. And what's interesting is that in a biblical context, the idea of loving others well is always in the context of sacrifice. So in other words, how are we sacrificially loving others, even when it's difficult, or especially, honestly, when it's hard? For a lot of us, uh, the Lord might be calling us maybe to, you know, love our brothers and sisters a little bit more. Maybe are there people who you know are struggling, people that you know need to hear and also feel the good news of Jesus Christ's death? James 2, uh, verse 14 even, uh, speaks about how faith is dead without works, or faith without works is dead. 
Now, this might be a verse that some of us need to apply. And so my question and something to really reflect and think on here is, you know, what areas can you more proactively and more proactively love others? Is there, you know, someone that comes to mind when you think about extending this sacrificial love? If Colossians 3, you know, 15 tells us, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, how can you begin share this peace of God, even if that means your own comforts are going to be sacrificed, and especially if they're going to be sacrificed? Now, another sub point I want to hit on is that, you know, as believers, we are and want to achieve the sense of biblical peace, but the goal itself is never just peace in itself. The ultimate goal is not to become, in other words, like peace experts, but we want to become Christ experts. What that means is that moving towards a greater understanding of biblical peace really honestly starts with a solid understanding of who God is and what he has done so that we could have peace with him. So here, biblical peace is really in something so much greater, and that something is Christ. So as we start to know Christ better, we can really find peace in him by appreciating and treasuring the price that he did or paid on the cross so that we could have peace. Now, I'm sure probably some of you are thinking, you know, this is so great. There's so many concepts <laughs> that we're talking about. Um, but in so, so many ways, you know, peace and pursuing peace is so much easier said than done. You know, how often do we know the truths of scripture, but yet we fail to live them out? You know, what obstacles and what is keeping us essentially from pursuing this true peace with him, which actually leads to our second point. And our second point this evening is going to be analyzing this question of why is it so hard to feel peace? Why is it so hard to feel it? You know, if we know that Christ has already paid the ultimate price on the cross, we should be having peace. You know, we, knew, we know that he has conquered death. And so if true biblical peace is about wholeness, we have to think about, okay, what is it that's keeping us from feeling this wholeness with Christ? And the answer to that, uh, it honestly, is our sinful hearts. Our sinful hearts. Because they are, by definition, apart from who Christ is. In other words, you know, we can know peace and be reconciled to God. However, we have this almost kind of like a subjective discontentment in some ways because of our sin that prevents us from seeing what Christ has done. And by therefore that peace with God kind of becomes disconnected. So again, the definition we had rolled with earlier is that objective peace is peace that comes from knowing that we have been reconciled with God because of the gospel. Now we're gonna be looking at something else that we're gonna be defining as subjective peace. So subjective peace which can be defined as when our sinful hearts interferes with this objective peace. So objective peace comes from knowing Christ died in our place and suffered the punishment that we should have deserved. However, when our sinfulness, you know, when our selfish desires get in the way of that, it actually leads to subjective peace. Now, I know that was a lot to kind of process <laughs> probably in just a couple of sentences, but here's kind of maybe a little bit more of a tangible example of what that looks like. So this is what objective peace sounds like. Again, objective peace. Saying things like, I know that Christ has died for my sins and rose from the grave so that I might be able to have a relationship with God and now my sins are forgiven and I can spend eternity with our Lord. Subjective peace, on the other hand, is going to sound something a little bit more like this. I know that Christ died for my sins and rose from the grave so that I might be able to have peace with God but, you know, I still need an A on this exam. Like I had to cheat just a little bit just to be able to get that. Or, you know, I know I should be satisfied in Christ because he paid it all for me. But, you know, it's kind of been a stressful day and, you know, it's fine for me to look at porn just this one time to de-stress. 
So you kind of hear the difference here between these two examples. You know, one is satisfied and at peace because of the gift of the gospel, while the other recon recognizes that the gift of the gospel is there, but almost feels like this need that other qualifications need to be met in order to have true peace. So objective peace in itself, you know, doesn't change from person to person. Again, because it's for some, from something outside of us. It comes from the fact that Christ, Christ paid the price for our sins. But subjective peace, on the other hand, is a little bit different in that it is, by definition, subjective. You know, it's different from person to person. We all struggle with different sins. We all struggle with uh, different areas of discontentment. And so, therefore, it will be different from person to person. For some people, it might be uh, pride. For other people, it might be lust. You know, the list goes on and on, essentially, with that. So... Why is it that we so often fall into this idea or this almost like trap in some sense of pursuing subjective peace? You know, why is that? Romans 8 uh, verse 6 says that the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. So here the idea is that peace is threatened when our worship itself has been turned towards something other than God. You know, we lack peace and our mind is governed by our own flesh. In fact, you know, Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so our hearts in this idea are stained. They're sinful. Jeremiah 17.9 tells us, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. So who can understand it? So with this idea, you know, our worship is turned towards ourselves. And in so many ways, we actually become blinded by our own sinfulness and our own desires. We place ourselves kind of at this high throne in a way and try to, in a sense, control the outcomes of our future. And then when things don't go according to our plan, how often do we blame outside circumstances and all these other situations going on instead of really focusing on the deeper heart issue, again, which is our worship. So I want to kind of take a second now to kind of pose a question just to everyone and kind of get us thinking about this a little bit more. And so when was the last time that you were surprised by your sin? Again, when was the last time you were surprised by your sin? In fact, let's even start with this question. You know, are you surprised when you sin? The reality is, you know, our sin should not be a surprise to us. Again, we just read Romans 3.23. And Paul understands this so well in 1 Timothy 1, when he describes himself as the chief of sinners. You know, Paul knew the weight of his sin. He knew how separated he was from the living God. And he knew how his sinful nature was totally not something to be taken lightly. You know, the moment that we justify our sin, we become blinded and the peace that comes from the Lord is disconnected. John Piper says, you know, Christ did not die to forgive sinners who go on treasuring anything above seeing and savoring God. So here, again, when we fall prey and even justify our sin, we're essentially, you know, slapping Jesus in the face saying, Christ, I know you died on the cross, but you should have seen what she did today. So it's okay that I screamed at her, you know, or, or next time I'll just do better. I'll try again next time. The fact is, you know, when we don't recognize like, the weightiness of Christ's death on the cross, it's no surprise that we'll, we'll continue to justify and even live in our sin. It's impossible to feel the weight of being saved if we don't know what we're being saved from. Which again, actually here leads us to our second point, and that's difficult circumstances help us to grow in biblical peace. Difficult circumstances help us to grow in biblical peace. Jesus himself never guaranteed that an easier life was going to happen if we pursue and follow after him. He never said that our challenges and our difficulties would disappear. 
in John 15, Jesus says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. And so we're, re- we're willing here to compromise biblical beliefs or comforts simply to pursue this sense of ease. You know, the reality is that we will struggle. We will have difficult situations and we may question, you know, why is the Lord doing this? You know, why this timing? But at the end of the day, we can find rest and peace, you know, knowing that his sovereign plan is just so much greater than our own. You know, practically speaking, think about this season, you know, with COVID-19, instead of asking the question of why God, you know, why now? Maybe we should be asking God to change our hearts, to provide a peace that trusts in his sovereign plan and his sovereign timing. Maybe in so many ways, this season is not terrible timing, but it's actually perfect timing and that it helps us to grow in faithfulness, humility, and honestly, even dependency on the Lord. So imagine for a second, you know, if our prayers look something like, you know, God, thank you for sustaining me. Thank you for constantly providing, even when I was blind to my own sin of discontentment. You know, imagine if we identified and really focus on this fact that God is our heavenly father and that he is sovereign over all, of all things, you know, we would no longer feel robbed in that sense of peace. Now, kind of going back to the very first question I asked, um, when, you know, a time <laughs> that you've been stressed out. Uh, I remember for myself, actually, there was a season that really has stood out um, in so many different ways. And it was actually my uh, very last year in college that it was super apparent. Uh, going into my last quarter, I had no post-grad plans. You know, I wasn't sure where I was going to work, wasn't sure where the Lord was going to place me. And this question of, you know, what am I going to do for the rest of my life or what am I doing with my life, you know, just kept coming up over and over and over. So many of my peers were getting jobs at these, you know, top ranked companies. And, you know, here I was just honestly waiting for like any entry level position. And I was constantly comparing myself to others. And at every family gathering, you know, that question would always pop up, you know, like, what are your plans for postgrad? And honestly, I was like, same, <laughs> I don't know. And so through that, you know, so many of my sins of um, pride even were being brought to the forefront or even comparisons, you know, to others. And it actually wasn't until after graduation that I got my um, very first job. And so fast forward from that time, uh, one year, God threw a huge curveball, completely unexpected curveball. And I was actually laid off from my position. And the crazy thing is that it was only two months after getting a promotion. So completely, completely blindsided. Um, It was another opportunity where it was such a trying time where I was asking that question, kind of the same one I was asking before, you know, what am I doing with my life? And was really struggling with this idea of, am I falling behind my peers in my career? And um, am I taking, you know, two steps back when I was trying to take one step forward? So to say the least, stress was really at an all-time high. But something I kind of learned, you know, the hard way, and just as I've, you know, reflected on that season, is that God uses these types of difficult seasons to teach us what it means to trust in him more. And so that actually leads us to our third point that we want to um, pursue this evening. And that's when pursuing biblical peace, you know, where is it found? Where is it found? So peace itself, and again, this is in your guys' notes, peace is not found in a program. You know, it's not found in a philosophy, but instead it's found in a person, that person being God. And so how often do we try and use God in a sense, almost like a means to an end? We'll go through the motions and we'll try to put all these practical steps in place instead of really focusing on God and him as a person. In other words, sometimes our prayers will sound something like, you know, God, I pray for peace of mind so that I can, you know, just get this dream job. Or God, I 
pray that you would remove this stress that I'm feeling so that I can pass, you know, this failed test. And so these prayers, you know, in themselves are not bad, but if we're only praying to God to get something, our priorities are, you know, completely out of line because we're more focused on the creation instead of the creator. Again, more focused on the creation rather than the creator. John 14 even speaks that let not your hearts be troubled, but believe in God, believe in me. And so that in me, you might have peace. Now here, he doesn't say, you know, in my ideas or in my thoughts or whatever, you know, you might have peace. He says, you know what, in me, you will have peace. Now, Francis Chan has a famous quote in his book, Crazy Love. I'm sure many of you have probably heard it. Uh, But he says, the critical question for our generation and every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness, with all the friends you ever had on earth, and all the food you ever liked, and all the leisure activities, and all the enjoyments, and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, and no human conflict or natural disaster of any kind, you know, could you still be satisfied with heaven if Christ was not there? Again, if Christ was not there. And this last line, you know, he puts in is just this home run type of quote, and it should be something that haunts us in a way. You know, are we going to be satisfied if Christ is not there? Too often we're so busy thinking about the benefits of heaven, you know, things like good health, you know, good relationships, good status or whatever. But we lose sight, though, of the purpose of heaven and the purpose being our eternal relationship with Jesus, with Jesus. And so if we really wanted Jesus, Jesus, you know, imagine how immersed we would be in our Bibles. You know, we would long to get to know and want to know our Savior. And so this idea here really points to the fact that true biblical peace is found in Jesus and in Jesus alone. And so the more we are able to trust in our Savior, the less we're going to be trusting in our situations or in in our circumstances. And so Beacon, are there areas in your life, even as, you know, we're going through this message right now, are there areas where it is hard to trust in Jesus? You know, what things really keep you up at night? Where do you feel your heart kind of, your heart be rising? You know, when you think about this topic and it kind of causes almost nervous sweats in a way. For some, it might be the isolation, you know, in this COVID-19 season. Maybe it's stressful situations at home, kind of feeling like, you know, relationships are slipping away the longer this season progresses. Maybe it's uh, trying time and time again, you know, to find a job and then getting turned down, you know, over and over or even worse, never hearing back (laughs) from a recruiter. Uh, Maybe it's a challenge for this season to not see it so much as a kind of waiting room season where, you know, everything will be fixed once we finally get to see one another, but instead using this season as a way to grow closer to Christ. And so what if we, as a church and as a ministry, you know, what if we didn't wait for these better circumstances to feel peace, but instead we apply the truths of scripture to this current season. You know, imagine that John Piper, you know, in fact said that the peace that Jesus gives is not circumstantially based. It's peace in bad circumstances. Again, peace in bad circumstances. So when we have peace in things like tribulation or in trials, you know, we can trust that the peace of God will be guiding us through all of those situations. Philippians 4, 7 even says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So with this passage in Philippians 4, you know, why is Paul describing it like this? He's making the point that as sinful human beings, 
we can't find and have it in ourselves. We can't have this peace in ourselves. God is the only one who can make it happen. And he is the one who can calm the internal warfare going on in our own hearts. But do we truly believe in this greater peace? You know, do we truly believe in this greater peace? What does our own discontentment even and our own dissatisfaction uh, say about our trust in who the Lord is? You know, even continuing in this verse in the Philippians 4 verses specifically 11 to 13, Paul says, you know, I have learned to lead, or I have learned in whatever situation that I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every situation and circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So here in this passage, you know, even from prison, you know, Paul is able to see the blessing of trusting in Jesus, of trusting in the Lord's sovereignty and not basing it on any worldly comforts. Uh, but instead, you know, he's using it as an opportunity to prove that even at our lowest lows, we can be drawing near towards Christ. It's an opportunity for us to prove how we can be drawing near towards Christ. So do you believe that truth, you know, for yourself? What if this season of quarantine, you know, was meant for you to trust in God's timing and his sovereignty that much more? What if these, you know, questions that we're feeling of things like racial injustice, you know, were the Lord's way of revealing our own comforts and how much we need to, we need to be trusting in him through so much uncertainty? Maybe for some of us this evening, it's, you know, the idea of how can we be putting aside our future plans, knowing that God is ultimately and completely in control. Going back to this verse again in Philippians 4, you know, something I want to note is that we don't get to see verse 13 without knowing the struggle. Because in verse 11, you know, he intentionally states he has learned in whatever situation to be content, to struggle and to find peace in God because of his own sinfulness that's coming to the front. And so we don't want to wait for a better moment to find peace because at the end of the day, you know, we'll only be unfulfilled if we try to have these expectations set up in our own hearts. Going back now to uh, the season that I mentioned a little bit earlier, this season of um, unemployment that I was facing kind of post-grad and after my um, first year of working. Uh, in short, you know, it honestly was probably one of the most, if not the greatest trying and even just patience testing times um, that I felt maybe honestly my whole life in some ways. And um, for me, it was such a tangible reminder, you know, that everything happens according to God's perfect timing, you know, getting let go from a job, you know, one year after um, was obviously not ideal, definitely not something that I'd hoped for by any means. Uh, but what was interesting is that one year later, you know, I was, again, back in a very similar position. There were so many of the sins and even the idols in my own hearts, things like idolizing career, idolizing people pleasing and you know, having a job even. Uh, and so many of these sins were kind of coming to the surface again one year after. And it was such a tangible reminder that we never truly graduate from our sins. Either we're fighting our sin or we're blind to how sin is actually beating us. And so one of my favorite quotes is actually from uh, C.S. Lewis. And he says that you can't get some second things by putting them first. You get second things only by putting your first things first. Again, you can't get second things by putting them first. You get your second things only by putting the first things first. And so in this face of uncertainty in so many ways, the only thing that we can do is glorify God today and trust that he'll be providing you know, for tomorrow. And honestly, I mean, it's all according to his perfect timing. You know, praise the Lord, um, just through a lot of patience, through a lot of um, even just trusting in his sovereignty, he provided a job. Uh, 
um, that is closer to church and it's in a position that I, you know, personally truly do love and, you know, being able to work in an industry that I love as well. But I, I remember, you know, through that, there were so many nights of just praying and asking for the Lord to uh, grow my satisfaction in him instead of trying to wait for like an ideal situation or just to get a job to feel satisfied or to feel happy. And because of this, you know, it's honestly the Lord's grace that um, it brought so much peace. It brought so much uh, calm feelings essentially to my own heart that was so discontent and feeling all these pressures. And John Piper has his famous quote, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. And so as difficult season and as difficult as the season it was in unemployment, you know, in so many ways, I would totally never want to trade it actually for anything. You know, the lessons of really trusting in God's timing, relying on his faithfulness, and instead of trying to focus on my own security was something that um, in so many ways became so clear. And I'm honestly just so thankful for so many people at Lighthouse even who um, have been praying for me through that season, who have been walking through that season with me. There were so many people who told me maybe not so much what I wanted to hear, but instead what I needed to hear. And this was such, again, a huge encouragement, but a good challenge in so many ways. And so my hope for even just telling the small anecdote is that my hope is that it can be an encouragement to you know, everyone in Beacon. You know, God's work is still being done even in this season. And so instead of trying to uh, focus solely on just how difficult challenges are or just how um, trying of a season it is, you know, how can we as believers and again, as a ministry, really be meditating on you know, areas, how have you grown? You know, what have you learned about God through this season? How can you practically apply that? How have you been able to grow and learn and, and even in ways that maybe honestly wouldn't have been possible if our normal routines were going on as they did before COVID-19, let's say. So with this idea, you know, we can find peace really in knowing that God wanted us to be struggling in these challenges at this very specific time. You know, he knew that it would be stretching our faith. He knew that it would be difficult but he also knew that it was an opportunity for us to really trust in him more and to pursue peace with him rather than ourselves. So the question here, you know, is not, will God be faithful or has he been faithful? But instead the question is, are we able to see his faithfulness? Are we meditating and even asking that question, how can we see the Lord's faithfulness in this season? And that itself is something that will help us to not only grow in that sense of pursuing peace, but also to move closer to Christ in that process. Now, I wanted to kind of spend um, a good chunk of time as well, really talking about, you know, what are some practical steps for applying and pursuing this greater peace with God? Again, you know, it's so much easier said (laughs) than done, but the goal about kind of talking about these little bit more practical steps is that we want to take the idea of trusting in God's peace and really pursue them, to practically apply them on the day-to-day. As the famous you know, saying goes, failing to plan is essentially planning to fail. <laughs> and so as we move towards Christ, the reality is, that unfortunately, good intentions are not enough. You know, we need to proactively and actively pursue Christ in it. So the first practical step I wanted to address this evening is that we need to know our Bible. Again, we need to know our Bible. And now this might seem kind of like an obvious answer, kind of something that's very, you know, Sunday school-like, but, you know, how can we expect to find peace and trust in God if we don't know him? You know, how are we expected to rely and to meditate on his word if we're not even in his word? Are there verses that you can turn to? Are there verses like Philippians chapter 4, you know, 11 through 13 that we looked at? 
Psalm 27, talking about waiting on the Lord's timing, even looking at verses like John 16, 33, and trusting God through difficult circumstances. You know, all of these passages really speak on pursuing God and pursuing peace with him. So have you meditated? Have you memorized these scriptures? And have you proactively tried to even just apply it? But the first step being even just knowing it. You know, how can we equip ourselves with these truths of scripture? What's interesting is that, you know, so often we try to confront our sin without meditating, without praying through scripture. And in some ways, it's almost like we are jumping into war with no armor, you know, with no plan, and still thinking that we're just going to succeed. You know, by some way, somehow we're going to succeed. But again, the reality is that's just not how it works. You know, God has given us his word to confront our sin for a purpose. And so maybe the first step in pursuing a greater peace with him is to commit to a regular reading plan. Maybe it's to memorize the scripture, you know, once a week. Maybe it's to walk alongside others, to uh, repeat scripture over and over, to pray through it with other believers. Even as I'm preaching now, you know, can you even just something as simple as in the next week, you know, take three passages, pray through them, meditate on them daily, and really put that into practice. Because the goal here is that putting into practice by no means implies that we need to make these huge, you know, life-altering decisions. Instead, you know, we want to focus on how can we kind of start small? You know, how can we focus on something small, like taking one passage? How can we even just start by uh, spending more time, let's say five, 10 extra minutes, reading through a passage, meditating on it, praying on it, and by doing so, be able to see how we can trust God more faithfully. In other words, again, pursue the small steps rather than trying to take these giant leaps for larger steps. Maybe another practical way um, that we can be pursuing peace for some of us, especially through having more free time, uh, is limiting things like the screen time, you know, we have on our phones. Maybe it's to cap the amount of, time, amount of time we spend on social media and even, you know, dare I say, things like Animal Crossing. Because <laughs> you see where, where we spend our time, it really shows where we place our priorities. So imagine if the time that you spent on social media was used instead to read the Bible. Imagine how different our lives would be and how much more we would be rooted in faith instead of being clouded by the media or being clouded by all these otherworldly uh, types of sources. Maybe a practical step is just setting a limit, asking someone to walk alongside you. And with that idea, I want to move into a uh, second practical application. And this is finding a discipler and finding an accountability group. So as we all know, you know biblical or pursuing biblical peace um, is something that requires time. It requires diligence, but in, in so many ways, it also requires us to lean on our brothers and sisters to walk alongside us, to become more like Christ, and by doing so, helping us to face struggle and face temptation, because it's not a question of if, but very much a question of when, <laughs> when we're going to be faced in that situation, and then how we're going to respond. Now, I do want to pose this question um, for those of you who have not found, let's say, an accountability group, I want to, you know, ask this question to you. You know, why is it that you haven't pursued accountability? Again, why is it that you haven't pursued accountability? For some people, maybe it's you are newer to the church, you know, wanting to get more connected, getting to know other people better, which completely understandable. But for many, you know, is it out of laziness? Are there certain fears about joining a group who will be able to see your sins kind of put on display? So maybe in this context, the first step in pursuing biblical peace is to find a group of brothers and sisters who will walk alongside you. 
Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 calls us to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So especially in Beacon, you know, there are so many resources and so many opportunities to be taken or that can be taken advantage of uh, to pursue accountability. So the question again is not, are there resources available? But more importantly, how we take advantage of those. Personally, I've learned uh, just so much from my accountability group, from my disciple here at Lighthouse. And it's been a huge blessing uh, to see how other brothers have really intentionally put themselves in a almost uncomfortable position uh, to call out my sin. Uh, and they know that loving me well oftentimes means that um, addressing those areas of sin that I in so many ways am blind to through seasons of things like unemployment and whatnot. You know, these brothers really helped to turn my attention more towards Christ and help me to really meditate and focus on how through a difficult season, it was actually Christ, you know, teaching me so much. And they challenged me to not find security in things like how many interviews, you know, did I get a week and instead challenged me to uh, steward time serving the church, being active and serving others and really having this um, external look at how I can be helping and building up other believers. You know, they reminded me that the less we have or the less control that we have over our own lives, you know, we recognize how much more control Christ has. In so many ways, it was a reminder that, you know, spiritual maturity is not based on how far we've come in our walk, but it's instead recognizing how much more we need to grow in our walk to become more like Christ. So the challenge for us, Beacon, is by pursuing a disciple or by pursuing an accountability group, you know, how can you put this into action? How can you take advantage of what the Lord has provided in front of you? And our last point um, that I want to mention for this evening is, you know, where are there areas of unconfessed sin? Again, where are there areas of unconfessed sin? Are there sins that need to be brought before the Lord? Are there sins that you've been justifying thinking, you know, mm, maybe not, they're not as bad or, you know, if only the Lord were to see this person's mistakes, like, you know, oh my gosh, you know, are we playing that comparison game almost in a sense? So is that context, you know, is our lack of peace stemming from an unwillingness to bring these struggles to the Lord? Is there pride? You know, are there areas that need to be replaced with humility? Are there people that you need to seek forgiveness from rather than simply just apologizing? You know, in Psalm 32, David is in extreme, extreme stress because of his sin. You know, in Psalm 32, he says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning, all day long. And in this passage, you know, David feels the anxiety. He feels the stress that's building up when he's trying to conceal his own sin. But after bringing it to the Lord and after essentially pouring out his heart to the Lord, he says later on in the passage, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from struggle. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. So are there areas where there needs to be places of turning and bringing these sins to the Lord? You know, everything might appear fine on the outside. Everything might appear all put together. But how has unconfessed sin really robbed us from pursuing peace with Christ with more open time? You know, have we been become consumed with things like lust or pornography? You know, have we become short-tempered with our family because we're all stuck together for such a long amount of time? You know, if so, what areas do you need to bring towards the Lord? And how can that be a small step of pursuing this biblical peace? So again, how can we be, be pursuing these small steps and committing to something where we can trust in the Lord that much more? Now, these three areas that we just addressed are by no means an exhaustive list. You know, they're meant to be a framework or an opportunity for us to grow in our humility with the Lord and move towards others even 
in love. The reality is though, is that we'll continue to struggle. You know, we're gonna continue to face difficult situations, but we can find peace at the end of the day, you know, really knowing that Christ has paid it all for us. And no matter how difficult of a season we may be in, no matter how many challenges we face, no matter how much suffering that we face, you know, Christ has faced it and he has suffered a thousand times more. You know, he knows our suffering inside and out because he himself experienced it. He knows the challenges of what it is to endure. And yet in our own imperfections, you know, in our own sinfulness, he truly does love us. And so by moving towards him, we have this amazing gift that we're able to rejoice even in the gospel. And that truly is at the end of the day, just the greatest gift. And so, you know, our prayer for this evening is that we can meditate on that truth, that we can be applying the peace of God in our own lives and walking alongside others to pursue the same likeness. And so with that, you can let me go ahead and uh, close this in prayer. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, God, we uh, rejoice, Lord, in knowing that you are our provider. God, we rejoice in knowing that you know our sins inside and out. God, you know exactly where we um, are tempted to stray. You know exactly where we need to um, be trusting in you more. And so, Father, as we um, really just reflect on this truth, God, as we reflect on um, the areas where we are called to uh, become more like you, we pray that we would um, have humble hearts, that we would be um, taking even those small steps, God, in the right direction, rather than trying to uh, focus on these huge and large steps, God. And so I pray that this peace would uh, be something that sustains us. I pray that this peace would be something that encourages us, but at the same time also challenges us God, to really um, place our faith in you, a God who is perfect, a God who knows every in and out Lord of our own sinfulness. And so we, uh, again, we praise you, God, we thank you. And as we um, reflect and as we meditate on your word, may it be something that encourages us. May it be something that spurs us on, God, rather than um, something that draws us closer even to our sin. And so we thank you and praise you. And in your name, amen.